Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Thanks, Pete. You're welcome. You're struggling there. I want to help out. I was. I was. I was worried about the levels. It didn't sound very loud in my ear holes. So, but I appreciate you continuing. The show must go on. But yeah, this is the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host Stuart Butler, and I am joined today with Misha Bochicchio. That's close enough. I'll take it. And I appreciate being bumped to the front of the introductions because you used to go the other way and. I was last. I'm going uh, clockwise now. Good for you. Instead of anti-clockwise. I appreciate it. I applaud your effort. And Melissa Caveat. Hello. And Pete the mildly funny sometimes. Hi, everybody. I think they know your names by now. You know, if this is the first episode they're tuning into, then they need to go back and listen to other ones, and they'll know your actual real names. Just to get to know us. Yeah. I think they'll get to learn the personalities and whatnot. Today's episode is not going to be about fruit. Like last week's, if you missed that, go back and listen to it because it was amazing. This one is about hotel marketing. We're going to talk about the 17 mistakes that hotels make on their booking engine and how you can avoid it. Although, to be fair, we are going to discuss how the fruit of your labor when it comes to improving your booking engine process is worth it. (laughs) And they just turned off in droves. (laughs) I'm terrible. really good at turning people off yeah, Pete, from my personal experience. Pete the mildly funny sometimes just lost his uh, rank as the best dad joke teller yes, in the man. podcast. You're going to have to start drinking wine, Pete. All right, send me your cats. I told you I can multitask. Okay. I can be good at more than one thing. Send me your mm. cats and I'll take care of your wine. All right, should we do the show? Yes. Okay, so let's jump into what is going on in the news. Melissa, do you want to go first? I would love to go first. This is from, well, all over the internet. It doesn't matter what source it came from, but TripAdvisor reached 500 million reviews. Million? Million. Millions. And the crowd goes wild. (sighs) Yeah, those fake internet points really work in uh, incentivizing people to review places. Yeah, two things TripAdvisor did really well. One was connecting to Facebook, right? Because that got everyone seeing what other people were doing. But then the gamification that they've added into the platform over the last several years has just incentivized people to leave more and more reviews. So out of the 500 million, I would say at least 100 million of them are not fake now. You know, They've done a good job. Hopefully. Four of them are mine. Four of them. They so, would be nowhere without my four. So they wouldn't have quite hit 500 no. million if it weren't for you. That's right. I mean, they probably owe you royalties or something. Yeah. But when... You do look at the sheer volume of reviews that they have, and that's just reviews. That's not including any of the other content that's on their website. This is why they dominate travel SERPs right there. Yeah, they have relevant content. I would argue, though, that you know, 500 million, it, it, it's a lot, right? But I, I don't think you need that many reviews. Like if you look at some of the hotels, we were doing a, um, some re- SEO research for a client earlier this week, and we were comparing the schema markup that people different sites were using we're looking at that it was a portal site we were looking at Expedia TripAdvisor and all these other ones in in schema there there's markup for reviews so we were looking at individual property pages on each of these different sites and one of the schema attributes related to reviews is review count or, or ranking count and TripAdvisor has like for this particular property we're looking at had like 4,500 reviews Expedia had 900 reviews i think booking.com had 1200 reviews so it's like is there really a big difference between 900 and 4500 i I don't know and how many of those are 
old and outdated. And if you look now what TripAdvisor is doing, which is really smart in the um, title tags on the profile pages for individual hotels, they now have includes new 2017 reviews. So it's a more compelling call to action when you see it on the search engine results page, which I thought was pretty smart. I hadn't noticed that they were doing that before we were doing this research. So TripAdvisor has, has definitely got it going on, but hotels, and we say this all the time, you have to have reviews on your own website because you know what? 87% of people want to read a review before they book. And if you don't have them on your hotel website, they're probably going to TripAdvisor and getting exposed to all the competition. So get some reviews on your website. Even if you're copying and pasting it from TripAdvisor, even if you're, heaven forbid, falsifying information, I wouldn't recommend it, but that's better than not having reviews on your own website. And there's no magic number for, you have to have 20 reviews to get people to not leave your site. I mean, there are, you know, service systems like Flip to are perfect for helping to cultivate those reviews and the, the different platforms that are out there. But, you know, we have one client, it was a, a review platform. They had around 26,000 reviews across the board. Mm-hmm. But really where they really started to shine was when, and it was a, for golf courses. Yeah. When each golf course got over 100 reviews. That kind of seemed to be like a tipping point for that service because people would go there, they would see, oh, there's 100 reviews. I only care about the last five or six for this particular golf course. Mm-hmm. But knowing that there's been a lot of velocity left let other people start leaving their own reviews because people aren't going to be the third person to leave a review. Right. Here's the best way to do it too, right? Don't go and say everyone leave a review, right? People are doing that in post a survey. Some collect that, put that in there, send out a bulk email to everyone that had stayed and ask them, how was their stay rate it? You know, every quarter do that regularly. And you're going to get lots and lots of people leaving feedback. It doesn't have to be, leave a review it's just ask them how was the stay rate it you know and you can get a lot of content you have better access to your past guests than TripAdvisor does you can do a better job again more volume than TripAdvisor if you work at it but again it doesn't really matter on the volume as long as like Pete said you get to a certain tipping point 20 30 40 50 100 doesn't really matter at the end of the day I think just having reviews is what really is the important point but congratulations TripAdvisor I feel like we should bake them a cake. I will gladly have any excuse to bake anything. <laughs> okay. We, we can bake them a cake, but we'll keep it and eat it ourselves. Yeah. that. Well, no, we weren't going to send it to them. Are you crazy? Yeah, exactly. All right. What's next in the news? Next one we have is an article that I first read about on hotel marketing, but it was actually in a few different locations. And the headline is, the GTMC says hotels need to leave the B2B sales marketing to online travel agents. There's a lot of acronyms. There really are. So... GTMC is the Guild of Travel Management Companies. Uh, this article comes, Stuart, from your hometown or your home country, I guess. Town, uh, country, same city. <laughs> but uh, their CEO, in his name is, I apologize, uh, that's a that's weird a name. Q, <laughs> Q Green yeah, is his name. But Q is not that's happy. That's also a funny yeah. name. Uh, no, Q is not very happy because. There are so many of the individual hotels that are going after the direct bookings, and it's cutting into the OTA market. Now, in this case, I think when they refer to OTAs, they're talking about true travel agents going after customers, but they're not happy that it's not going directly through a travel agent, which, you know, hey, too bad. I don't know that this organization is incredibly relevant. I just find it interesting that that's the shot across the bow that 
this travel management guild is is doing. It doesn't well, they are a guild after all. Yeah. That's true. Sounds very medieval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't know if this is even newsworthy. It's <laughs> not, not that you brought it up. Yeah. I think that, Pete, that people are sucks. writing about it. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a good discussion for for this podcast, right? But I don't know that people should be up in arms about it. There is an incredible imbalance in the hospitality industry. The OTAs have way too much power, right? And to, to complain and whine that travel agents or online travel agents are getting a raw deal because hotels are standing up for themselves finally and saying, hey, and I deserve these direct bookings that I've spent money you know, promoting my property and then you're coming in when someone does a branded search on Google and you're hijacking that by paying more money. You know, If you look at what Priceline, Expedia, these groups are paying in advertising, it's two, three billion dollars a year. It's it's forty percent of their revenue is being spent advertising, and a lot of that is hijacking people who already are intending to stay at these properties, right? So, boo hoo for that industry. You know, there are a bunch of sharks. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying that that they have way too much power right now. So, good good on the hotel industry. Yeah, and that's really why I brought that up, this article up because it's so you know, tough that you're not happy that, you know, customers are going direct. At the end of the day, the customer is getting what they want. Well, and arguably, I feel like the modern day travel planner, let's call them travel agent, whatever you want to call them. I just feel like they serve such a niche these days. Like, I feel like it's just the evolution of technology that people are going to feel more empowered to start planning their own trips and vacations. But I feel like there's still a very defined segment, whether it's they just have the money to help to hire somebody to plan their vacation. So they're just going to do that anyway. Or if you're, let's say, traveling abroad and it's something you're not as familiar with, you're going to want help with that process. So there's definitely still people out there that want the service. But I do think it's just the evolution of travel that that is a shrinking industry. And I don't know if they can necessarily blame it all on the hotels wanting to attract more direct bookings. Yeah. And it's interesting. If you look at it, if, you, if we're talking about traditional travel agents, they were needed. They were a necessary part of the planning process before the internet right consume average consumer didn't have the information at their disposal they couldn't plan their own vacation they certainly couldn't book it themselves right so that that was certainly required then the internet came changed all that right and we saw a massive shrink in the number of travel agents that existed then online travel agents came along and, and blew everything up but if you look at the data the number of actual traditional travel agents has increased over the last couple of years because people are getting more into you know adventure vacations and experiences and when you are going like Misha said out of the country or you're looking for to spend more money on something and, and you're looking for something you haven't done before then a travel agent with the expertise is is really important so that's never ever going to go away completely but it's going to you know the good ones are going to make a good living the ones that are terrible are not going to survive but but that's any market you know so yeah people need to stop whining and just do a better job all right what's next misha so i have an article from searchenginejournal.com your one-stop resource for search engine marketing and news maybe they'll pay us for the free plug but the article is entitled Google to include built-in ad blocker in Chrome browser, which is interesting strategy on their part since they own a giant ad platform. So looking into the article a little bit further, um, 
they're not necessarily blocking all ads, which is an interesting control move on their part. So the type of ads that they're going to be blocking with this built-in browser feature are only ads that are considered to provide a poor experience. And they did define what they consider a quote, poor experience. Non-Google ads. <laughs> yeah, right, no. So this will be, um, Unacceptable ad types would be those who are recently defined by the Coalition for Better Ads. Who knew such a thing existed? They should form a guild. They, they should, should have film, a guild. Yeah, it should be a guild. Way more um, professional, in my opinion. But so they um, released a list of ad standards in March that they considered not good. Um, so these, according to those standards, will be ad formats such as pop-ups, auto-playing video ads, which are the worst. Uh, YouTube. YouTube. <gasps> what? Well, and even I, when I say the worst, I mean like when I go to a page and I'm like, where is this sound coming from? I'm listening to a podcast and now I can't stop hearing this car commercial, whatever. Um, and then playing videos with sound and pre-stitchal ads with countdown timers that are deemed to be beneath a threshold of consumer acceptability, which is not defined. But so I just, I find it an interesting move because I feel like the more savvy searcher is familiar with ad blockers. I know that a lot of us in the office use them at our personal computers at home or even in the office. Um, I don't think they're necessarily something that an everyday computer user is aware of, but I think the move that they're taking with this, I mean, I think they're going to become a lot more popular. So I'm wondering if it was smart on their end to acknowledge, Hey, we know ad blockers are a thing. We want to be helpful. And then, but we're still going to allow some ads. Like I'm wondering if that was just a smart move on their end. I don't know. I really do question the YouTube thing, though. I mean, if they're talking about pre-run video ads, it's YouTube. And I, and of course, whenever I reference things, I can't think of the source off the top of my head. But I did recently read an article, and if this is wrong, somebody feel free to tweet at me and correct me, because people do that a lot. Because apparently I just make things up. But there was an article recently that YouTube is eventually going to stop ads that can't be skipped which I thought was an, an interesting move because that is for me super annoying. It's like if I'm trying to watch a video and you're stopping me from doing what I came here to do. Yes, it doesn't make me more inclined to buy whatever it is you're trying yeah, to Yeah, like if I'm going to skip the ad, I'm going to like I'm not going to absorb it because you're forcing me to watch it. When there's a relevant video, probably it could even be a duplicate one right yeah. next to it in the related yeah. videos area. Yeah, th this is interesting to me and and I think if you look at the penetration of ad blockers it's, it's still relatively low, right? I think if you look in Europe, it's a little higher. Countries like Germany are in the 23, 24%. But in the US, it's, it's like 18%. Um, so it, it's still relatively low. And I, and I would argue that it's probably not, a, like you said, it's, it's savvy users that are using it, right? It's not the average population. So if this is, and Chrome is used a lot. A lot of people use Chrome, right? So if this is default switched on, is it gonna do what the original pop-up blockers did? And then marketers being the evil despots that we are, we're gonna find a way around it. And and I think that that to me is the biggest thing. Like I, I personally never use an ad blocker because I like the to see the experience that the customers that I'm targeting are gonna see. But if, if marketers didn't do such a terrible job advertising, then we wouldn't need this stuff, right? We abuse every platform that's out there, whether that's email spam or whether that's pop-ups, whether that's oversaturating with terrible ads. Yeah, I, I just think it's our fault, 
I For get sure. that they're, Google's doing it, but I also, on the other hand, I agree with Melissa. I'm like, I feel like this is the the fox got in the hen house a little bit because Google's entire revenue is based on ads. Not these ads, the bad ads. <laughs> the, bad yeah. ads. the ones that don't meet the right the threshold. The coalition's right? threshold. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like, I definitely see this as a smart move on their end, and I do, well, I don't always think that Google has the user's experience in mind, but... Do no evil. <laughs> But, you know, in this case, they're obviously the, they're trying to at least portray that they are trying to keep the user experience first. And they see ad blockers as a trend. More people are using them. So I think this is their, their way of getting ahead of that while also still protecting their revenue and forcing marketers to not treat their products like garbage and do it the wrong way. Well, the good thing with hotel sites in general, you don't have ads on the hotel site, right? Because you're trying to get people through the conversion funnel. So hopefully. So I don't think it really affects that. Display advertising for hotels, driving people from other sites to mm-hmm. your website, probably won't be affected, right? Because most of the the big companies that are, you're distributing on are, go- are not going to be affected by this. Mm-hmm. You know, whether your ad shows up on CNN.com or not, should not be affected by this. So, what what I would say though is Google remarketing ads is is probably going to increase in value because. If there's fewer other ads on the market that are being shown, then Google's obviously not going to penalize themselves. So their ads are going to be a higher percentage of ads being shown. So probably be more effective. So hmm. maybe- Google sees what's coming down the road and that more and more people are starting to use ad blockers. If they get ahead of it and you say, oh, I have Chrome. I already have an ad blocker on my browser. You're not going to go out and look for the second one. Yeah. You know, so if they can just get in front of it, then they can kind of craft you know, what the consumer defines an ad and what they don't. One thing I think is going to be interesting is this could be a very good thing. Stuart, kind of like you had mentioned, if only the good ads are served, defined loosely by Google, those are going to be the ones that marketers are going to start creating more of. So hopefully we, we won't go what we marketers always do and just create, you know, ways around it, but become actual better marketers and serve people what they actually want to see. Probably I mean, not. Pro- I'm, I'm shaking my head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in theory, that sounds great. I just, my experience is that marketers are going to do what's quick and easy and effective, and they're going to find a way around what they, they always have. And I say they, I mean, we, we always have, you know, we're always looking for ways to get around the, the, the rules, break the rules just to, to our client's advantage. So shame on us, but it's the world we live in now. That's, Four or five years from now, this is all going to be irrelevant because we're going to be on a surplus results. People aren't going to be looking at web pages. Everything's going to be voice controlled anyway. So pop-ups and ads are going to be a thing of the past. Whoever controls the voice results is going to control your destiny. So sounds a lot like a dictatorship or an evil empire to me. So on that note, you want to jump into the topic? Sure. So today we're talking about <laughs> evil dictatorships and... <laughs> and bananas. <laughs> Uh, no, we are talking about the 17 mistakes that hotels make on their online booking engine and uh, ways you can avoid it. So, you know, this the, the way this topic came up is, you know, we have our own booking engine software. It's called Guest Desk. It's, it's in hundreds of properties all over the world. And we feel like it does a pretty good job. And where it really excels is mobile. We built this platform. It launched late last year. We built it from the ground up to be mobile first, right? We know that now more than 50% of searches or, or visitors to a website are coming in on a mobile device, but that 
the mobile booking is lagging far behind. So I'm not going to jump the gun. We're going to save the mobile discussion to the end. But that's what kind of spurred the conversation about, well, so many people don't have a good mobile experience for their booking engine. That's what started the conversation. But what we started talking about, well, what other things are hotels doing poorly or could they be improving upon from a booking perspective? So we, we just kind of spitballed in in the office to come up with some of those so we're going to go through 17 that we came up with that we feel like are pretty common mistakes that we see quite often and hopefully you're not making too many of those but maybe one or two and and if so maybe you can look at it from a different perspective and maybe fix it because none of these are really big issues that aren't resolvable you know so let's uh let's go through this list pete you want to start Oh, I totally wanted to start. Me, Misha, do you want to start? I would love to start. Wait a minute. He he already said I could. <laughs> what, right, arm wrestle over it? Yeah. Go for Thumb it. wrestle. The first ever podcast the, arm wrestle. The first one on our list, which just really, 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 really grinds my gears to make a Family Guy reference, is the search widget is buried. It is dead. RIP and peace your booking widget. It is people can't find it, so they're never going to book with you. Yeah, it's it's like far down the page, below the fold, and and same color as everything else, and which it just we blends have in. Talked about the fold not being a thing, it's, but which for sure. But you still want your booking engine front and center. Like you want it as high as possible, reg- regardless, right? Whether there's a fold in quotation marks doesn't matter. We still know when we look at heat maps, the further up on a page something is, the more it's going to get. Like clicked, you want right? your booking engine to be Snoop Dogg level. <laughs> Is that hey, appropriate? You just lost all our Trump listeners, man, because they don't like. Snoop so Bob I just improved the quality. Of whoa, our whoa, 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 whoa! We are not a political guys, show. Guys. Move past the dictator okay. comment. All right, all right. <laughs> Bring it back in. Bring it back in. All right, but yes. So I agree, one hundred percent. Don't camouflage the booking widgets. Yeah, it needs to stand out. It needs to have a contrast. It needs to be high on the page. And the other thing I would say too: different people have different ways of navigating. Some people want to go to a search. Some people want to click a button, a big button that says book now or check rates and availability. It's okay to have multiple ways into your booking engine. It doesn't have to be just one button somewhere or one search somewhere. Have, have multiple ways. This is a funnel. We talk about this all the time. You're trying to get people from visiting your site to booking and there's a process to that. So anytime you can get them from where they are to the next step, you're doing a good job. So. The more links with the more different verbiage, thinking about how people have different, uh, for, they're at different points in the funnel. So what they're looking for and what they're going to respond to is different. So having something that says check rates because someone's not ready to book is, di- is, is different than having something that says book now. You shouldn't have one or the other. You should have both because there's different people going to respond differently to those different calls to action. I would say always be testing. You can't say that. That's my line. I'm pretty sure you just stole that. I heard it from someone very smart. That's preposterous. Totally preposterous. It's one of those things where you do need to do both. You know, test it out, see what works best. There's several sites that we manage that has a reservation link and a book now. Yeah, and they get about 50% of the traffic each. Like If you look at how many people go from the site to the booking engine... About half go through the widget and half go through the link in the navigation. So you definitely need multiple entry points for sure. So, all right, everyone listening, you got that? That's number one. We're not going to hide the booking engine anymore. We want people in the booking engine as quickly as possible. What is number two? Who gets to go? I'm not going to steal anybody's really thunder this All right, time. children, children. <laughs> I'm okay. not going to designate every number. You guys just jump in. 
So number two. Outdated or not enough photography. (gasps) I will add crappy photography to this list because that is a problem too. That is a problem that I've talked about before and I'm not going back there again because that was frowned upon. (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about potties again? I am talking about potties again. Okay. Uh, Pete, you have an opinion on old photography, outdated photography? Yeah, I think you need to have a budget every year for updating your photography. It drives me nuts when you see the, you know, 80s short short guy, you know, by the pool. It makes no sense. Constantly get your photography updated. Use lighting. Get a photographer. Get talent in, you know, when you have a people, you know, people shots, and just make that a point on your annual budget to update a certain group of rooms, some amenities, whatever it might be, keep it updated. Right, and and have that in your booking engine. Don't just have one crappy shot of the room, you know, in your booking engine. Have multiple shots from different angles. And and when you're doing your photos, pay attention to the details, right? Iron the pillowcases, iron the dust ruffles, make sure there aren't stains, make sure there aren't bare patches on the arms of the sofa that's in the room. You know, really look at it with high attention to detail and clean it and touch it up and have your maintenance people fix every little detail before you take the photos because that that picture paints a thousand words and when when you're looking for a room you're making a decision and you're comparing one property to another yes you're looking at rate yes you're looking at location yes you're looking at amenities but Photos stir an emotion. At the end of the day, every decision we make as humans is an emotional one, and photos are the best way to accomplish your goal of getting them to book. And so. it, it establishes that authority of your property. You know, if you if they get through the entire site and everything's great, and they get on the booking engine and they're like, mm, these pictures are a bit questionable, like they it starts enticing that doubt or that fear that they're not making the right decision, and that's the opposite of what we right. want to be doing. And that's what I've seen sometimes, where especially where people have their PMS's booking engine. So the, the website has great photography and then you get into the booking engine and there's two or three grainy photos that are pulling from the PMS. It's like, that's just crazy. Make sure the photography is at least as good, if not better than it is on the rest of your website. And it can be big too. Yeah. Don't get locked into, oh, I can only have a 600 pixel wide image. People like to click on an image, see it big. Their screen resolutions are better than they were you know, mid 2000s. So go ahead and you know, push the limits a little bit on what's what you're doing with your photography in terms of screen resolution and size. Exactly. All right. What's next, Pete? So, next one is no room diagrams. This is one that drives me nuts just because people are going to be staying in this room for their entire stay. They're going and coming. If you have, you know, a single, you know, shotgun suite type hotel room, it's not as critical but if you have anything multi-room, multi-bathroom, you have to have you know, some type of layout so people get an idea. I think people digest information differently. So for some people, the pictures of the room are good enough or a virtual tour is good enough. But other people really want to see the nuts and bolts of the room and just one straight layout where they can see exactly where everything is. Like you said, like where exactly are those bathrooms compared to the two bedrooms that are in the room, et cetera, et cetera. I just think it's good to address everybody's needs in yeah, that way. Exactly. Especially if it's a family, right? And you've got kids. You want you want to make sure that the kids' bedroom is as far away from the adults' bedroom. So you can have a little adult alone time, if you know what I'm saying, you know? So, no, I don't know what you're saying. Can you go, can you elaborate? I'm saying that when you're having <laughs> adult conversations about uh, 
bills and taxes. Financial planning for the future <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. that you don't want your kids hearing that. For sure. Yeah. Or so. they will end up like me and be in a million dollars of debt. But <laughs> 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 so maybe you do want them in there. <laughs> you can put them to work and they can pay off oh, the debt that's maybe. True. All right. What is number four? Number four is boring room descriptions. And I feel like we dabbled with this a little bit last week when we were talking about storytelling. So yes, I feel like there is a certain percentage of the population that they are very visual heavy and they just want to look at pictures. Like Melissa said, not everybody absorbs information the same, but regardless, you still want your copywriting on your rooms pages to be written in a manner that people can imagine themselves in this room. It's not just, I have a hairdryer, there's an ironing board, there's a balcony, it's the end of the day. You want to spice it up a little bit, you know, make it a little bit more of a narrative so they can imagine themselves actually staying in that room and enjoying their vacation in that room. Yeah, I mean, it's this is a sales tool, right? You're trying to, again, push people through a funnel and stir emotion and sell the room don't just put a bunch of bullet points of what's in the room no, it's like the worst thing you saying can do. there's okay you have an oceanfront balcony that's great but going a little bit farther and i do think it is helpful to have you know some you know a block of text that's a little bit more narrative and then also bullet points again just because people are looking for different things they absorb things differently but going a little bit farther to say and imagine yourself waking up and having a fresh cup of coffee from the in-room coffee maker and then stepping out onto your oceanfront balcony and watching the sunrise. That is something that people can put themselves in that situation and like, wow, that sounds amazing. I want to stay here. Boom, sale. Exactly. All right, so number five, this is, I want to see Melissa go off on this one because this is her pet peeve. But <laughs> Melissa un- Unclear call to actions within the booking engine process. I have Get so- on your plinth, Melissa. Let's do it. I have so many words for unclear call to actions, but it relates to another line item in here about, uh, all right, let's go with unclear call to actions. So for example, if you get a room returned with no results, or you're searching for a room and you get no results returned, and there are three buttons on the results page, one that says re-query availability, another one that says change request, and a third one that says change request, what button do you push? Tell me which button you I would, push. I would mash all three buttons as fast as possible. Oh, mash the button? Yeah, that's what people in the South do. They mash buttons. Mm. If you need to read the instructions, which by the way, there are instructions on this page, and I'm not making this up. I'm looking at this page right now. There are instructions on how to re-query your search. If you need instructions, you might have a problem with buttons and clear call to actions. Well, it, yeah, it needs to be intuitive, right? And and for everyone listening at home, when I'm not, we're not going to call out who this is, but this is an actual booking engine that that a very large property management company has and is part of the package that you get. But I mean, it, it it's very unintuitive, right? And I think that's the point we're trying to make is everything that the consumer sees should help them to know what to do next. They should never have any confusion about what the next step is. There should never be a hurdle in front of them that's unnecessary that you're forcing in there just through poor choice of words, right? And I understand why that happens, right? We we develop software here and our developers are great at coding. They are terrible at at communicating, right? So that that is something that was produced by a programmer and no one from a marketing perspective looked at it and said, you know what, this would be better off if it was worded differently. And and that's why you need a booking engine that's, you know, 
well-rounded and has been thought about from the ground up as a conversion tool, not just a device that pushes inventory out to the website. Look at Amazon. They even obviously it's not in the hotel business yet. Well, but, they've tried four or five times. Right. But look how they're always you know, working with their, their buttons, their calls to action. They'll lead you through the sales process. Even if you don't want to buy something, mm-hmm. you're going to end up getting something in your cart. It and, is scarily easy to buy right. stuff on Amazon. Like dangerously easy. Yeah, that's you need the to make your website standard. dangerously easy to book on. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm just, I buy a lot of crap on Amazon that I don't necessarily need because I'm just like, it's whoops. Like before I know what I did, I bought something and I'm like, oh crap, what did I do again? So you'd be booking hotels willy nilly if I they would, had better course yeah, action. I, willy nilly, who knows where I'd be right now? I probably wouldn't be here. Well, we're glad you are. So. You can thank the crappy hotel booking engines, I guess. <laughs> All right, what's number six? Number six is that the booking engine has a completely different look and feel from the rest of the site. And I feel like this has been just an issue because the hotel website and the booking engine have always been a separate thing. And until recently, it wasn't even a consideration that, hey, this probably shouldn't look like a totally separate site. And again, I don't know if the average consumer is smart enough to realize that it's a different site, but just to have that- Lazy marketing. Yeah, it's lazy marketing. Like there's no reason that your booking engine shouldn't resemble your hotel website. Well, it's either lazy marketing or it's a lack of investment in good technology, right? Because a lot of people are sitting out there with using the same booking engine that they've had for the last 10 years and it hasn't gotten an upgrade. You know, it might, that same company that they're buying or licensing the booking engine from maybe has a newer version you just haven't upgraded or they just haven't shopped around, right? This is the time- 2017, there are so many great technologies out there that have been built from the ground up to be mobile first and integrated with the website and intuitive and all the things that we've learned from internet marketing over the last 20 years, right? So if you are still sitting on that same booking engine you have been for a while, it, it is time to go and start shopping, looking around. There's no excuse that, 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 that from the consumer's perspective that it's seamless between the website and the booking engine. There's no excuse. It's 2017. We, we have moved on from the dark ages where there were lots of guilds. <laughs> I feel like guilds needs to be one. You know, we have a lot of memes in this show. Like there's yeah. a lot of references back to, to dad jokes or plinths or yeah. whatever, right? I feel like guilds needs to be a new meme. No, well, the so, you know, preposterous, I was yeah. on a kick with that. So yeah. my word of the week this week is scintillating. Mm, I don't feel like that's as good as preposterous. Well, Get out of here. You don't enjoy the word <laughs> scintillating? I mean, yeah. I, mean, I feel like we're having one. a very scintillating conversation right now. About booking engines, yeah. yeah. But it's good, but it's not preposterous good. All right, fine. Teach his own. <laughs> Get off your plinth. <laughs> what was the word you said earlier, Pete? I prefer that word. The one when we were talking about wonky. Cattywampus. Cattywampus. <laughs> See, that is a word right there. You know, speaking of cattywampus, this conversation has gone cattywampus. <laughs> Which means off track or not straight. Hey, you so. are the first person I've ever heard probably that used cattywampus in a sentence that was correctly used. So congratulations. You heard it here first, everybody. Cattywampus. All right. So moving on. One thing that I find really frustrating is the lack of a progress bar when someone's going through that booking process. Melissa, a while ago, you and I did a test on a contact form or it was a quote form where we had just one long quote form and then the other test was we broke it up into multiple parts and had, you know, your contact information, your request confirmation is broken into three parts. 
And the conversion rate on that form was so much better than just one long form or a form broken up into, you know, not very clear segments. And having that progress bar does let people know how far along they are, what they have to look forward to, and kind of get them mentally ready to go through this booking process. A lot of times you don't know how lengthy it's going to be. So if you have a very simple, you know, choose your accommodation, choose your additional services, check out. Something simple like that's going to help that customer be ready to move through that process quickly. And as we all know, the quicker you go through that booking process, the more likely you are to actually complete the booking. Yeah, this, this is all about setting expectations, right? And to me, you're exactly right. Having the progress bar in terms of where they are in the, pro, in the process, but also the other progress bar that I think you also need is when you're making a search query and it's taking a few seconds to come back, letting them know how long it's going to take, you know, like your 20%, 30%, so that they're not just sitting there wondering with something spinning in front of them, right? So again, this is all about setting expectations and making sure they are comfortable the whole time. They know what is going on the whole time. They've got great call to actions to know what the next step is. And when they click those, they know exactly where they are and they know where they're going to be when they click the next one as well. Yeah, I agree. It's it's very intimidating to look at a giant wall of text that is a form. But if you can break that up into a few steps, and we don't want to overly complicate the process by any means, but just taking the information that you actually do need and breaking it up into a few easy to digest steps is way a much higher level of comfort for a consumer than just looking at this giant page with like a hundred fields. Hey, you know what you can do to figure out the best way to present that information? Always be testing. You could test it. You should always be doing that. Absolutely. That's what I said. All right. So next up is showing only one rate or showing multiple rates that really are redundant, right? So a lot of people have gotten into the habit now of when you get through the, the you've done a search and you see the room, some people do now show multiple rates, which is great because if you're only showing one rate, it's not really giving them a context. They don't really know if it's a discount. They don't know if there's a better offer somewhere else. So I like it when people are showing packages, right? When they're showing something like, here's our rack rate, but there's currently this special, right? And maybe that's a strike through something like that. But what I like even more is when people are packaging and saying, here's our rate, or if you're a member of our loyalty program, here's the rate. Or if you want breakfast included, it's a little bit more, but it's not much. So you're giving people a choice. The choice is no longer yes or no. The choice is, oh, which one of these looks best for me, right? So I like the idea of giving multiple rates, but some people do it and they do a terrible job because their multiple rates are standard rate. 10% discount rate, 15% discount rate, 20% discount rate. I'd rather rate. have the 10 instead of the 15. Just exactly. Charge you're, me more, please. You're making, you're confusing people, right? You're, you're, they're scratching their head and saying, well, why, why are there like four different rates where I get exactly the same thing? Or they'll, same concept, but it'll be, here's our standard rate. Here's our internet rate. Here's our best rate guarantee. It's like, what? This is the same thing. Right. Anytime you put a question in a customer's mind, when they're going through the booking process, You've kicked them out of that process, and now they got to go back into the research mode to figure out which one they want to buy. They've chosen a room. They've chosen the date. They're at this point clicking on a rate to buy, and you just confuse them. Right. They don't do that. Now, now there's, there's a good chance, right, you can help them by saying there is a, a regular rate that normal people buy, but you're special, so you get this one discount, right? So showing two rates, like a standard and the internet one, 
that makes sense. Psychologically, that has a positive impact. But you're absolutely right. You should be removing questions from their head at this point, not adding new ones. In in confusing them with multiple rates that are really the same but just different values, that is nonsense. But you also have a good chance of upselling people. Things like some of our clients are doing things like um, vacation insurance plans at this point, right? So they, they have a non-refundable rate or a refundable rate. They're doing the adding the breakfast for $5 or $10 per night per person, stuff like that. You can add to your revenue significantly at this point by showing there's more value in this package versus that package. And I'm not saying get complicated and add show tickets and stuff like that. I think that can be overkill. But just by having three or four different options for them that they can choose from, but they can clearly understand what the value is in each one, that to me is the way to go. I think the strike through is my personal favorite. If you're trying to show a discount, it clearly shows you, you would have paid this, but we're giving you this X percent discount because you're a super awesome person and here's the net of what you're paying. I think it makes it super clear. And then, then there's no question by the consumer as to, wait, was that discount already applied? Do I have to do something special? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I don't think that a lot of people have an understanding of discounts, but as a marketer and a cynical person, like there's no such thing as an actual discount. Like you set your pricing. So I feel like a lot of hoteliers, did I say that properly? You did, that's correct. Um, you know, that aren't as savvy on the marketing end. They're like, oh, but I can't afford to discount my rates. Well, you dictate that. And I don't mean that rip people off, but there's no such thing. They're, like discounts don't exist in real life. Like that's just not a thing. Did you see that this is a tangent, but did you see Radio Shack got in trouble recently for this? So they, they, they were fired. Business? I didn't. Well, they're yeah. going out of business <laughs> yeah. right? because they're, nobody went to their store. They're going ba- bankrupt. And um, so people have been monitoring the price of their products online. So there, there's hundreds of documents now that show where before they were going into receivership, that products were priced at a certain amount. Now they're, in quotes, on sale for a higher price than they were previously. So they basically elevated the, the base price to way higher than it was. And they're saying, you now you get like $30 off, but it's actually $10 more than you would have paid before they went bankrupt. Yeah, I'm not like saying rip people off, but I just mean be smart about it. Like there is a way to do special offers and discounts to where you're still making money. Like they work. Specials and discounts really do work. But just be smart about it. Free breakfast is what works. Yeah. Well, you or, or build pay, that into yeah. your cost. Yeah. 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 Free, but you're paying $10 yeah. but right. extra. Yeah, it can have an impact for sure. Or, or we, I've seen them with like f- just food and beverage and, and maybe a game card included mm-hmm. for the arcade, stuff like that. That, that can work. Right, ne- next one is not monitoring your availability. And this isn't something necessarily visible to the consumer, although they're going to see when there is no availability, obviously. What I mean by this is you as a hotel not paying attention to when people aren't getting results you know and we've had clients that have switched booking engines and run into this problem where their their revenue is down year over year and they're trying to figure it out and they're like well maybe this new booking engine is terrible well well, no actually you've got different restrictions or or some kind of rules set up in the new booking engine that is preventing people from actually booking so having analytics on your booking engine obviously is a must but monitoring that and being able to measure not just bookings conversions, but also when people are getting to that point where they get no availability in knowing what dates they are searching so you can monitor that and adjust. Maybe you have a three-night restriction that you don't need that time of year because you, you need to fill up more heads and beds. 
keeping an eye on that and i would probably broaden this to not just the availability data but monitoring the data in general is something you should be doing can i share my favorite success story from my analytics career on availability sure one of our clients (laughs) did you say no i was just kidding i'm saying it anyway because i really get to tell awesome analytics stories but one of our clients was suddenly again conversion rate had tanked couldn't figure out why Turns out that unavailability searches were way sky high. And as it turns out, when we looked into what dates were being searched, it was because there were actually no rates loaded into the PMS for those further out date ranges that people were searching for. There were no rates loaded. And we found that. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I mean, I'm patting myself on the back. You have have had a storied career, I must say. (laughs) Well, and I think it's important, too, that... That was mean. I'm sorry. Like, obviously, there might be something, whether it's a restriction you need to get rid of or the stuff isn't loaded properly in the PMS, mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, for example, in Myrtle Beach, 4th of July week, it's a pretty highly trafficked week. So if, you know, everything is right on the data end of things and the technical side, you know, if somebody does get to a point where there's no availability, giving them the information and the options that they need to either complete another search or change the type of room they're looking at or giving them a next step and not a dead end. Exactly. So that leads to number 10. Melissa, I know you probably are passionate about this one. Well, the next several are all related to availability issues. So yes, using confusing language is a no-no if people do not get rooms returned. And then what I've already talked about, about um, not offering alternate dates, which is what Misha just talked about. If there is no availability, always give them a next step. Hopefully you have some sort of an availability calendar that if you know they've searched a date that is not available and they're flexible because we do know that the earlier they are in the booking process, the more flexible they are likely to be let them see what other dates are available and if they can shift their arrival date a day or two earlier and then they can stay well that's great and then don't do stupid things like give three buttons to choose from when there is no availability but i want to re-query because i don't know what that means or would you rather change your request how do yes. i do that can, there, can we have some instructions on how to click do one of the, one of the two <laughs> click, buttons that click says one it. of the three buttons oh that don't do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Totally going to take the time to do that. All right. So we've broken so, this into three, right? One is monitor the, the no availability. Two is um, making sure the message that they receive is clear in terms of why they got no results, right? And, and then three is giving them some kind of next step, which is, you know, change your dates or sh- automatically, you know, what Guest Desk does is great because it will automatically search for different dates where there is availability and show them that instead or show them a calendar where all the availability that exists happens. Mm-hmm. Or if you have multiple properties, maybe giving them the link to go and look at another property instead in the same, if, they, if their dates aren't flexible. But giving them an out. Again, you're in a funnel. You never want that to end in a dead end. You always want to give them an option to continue through the funnel. And just going back to the language for just a minute, we're talking about if they do a search and they haven't met your minimum number of nights. Well, tell the consumer that don't just say sorry there's nothing available right versus well there is nothing available for the time that you've searched that's a whole different thing right and and if you just want to do it in a very simple way have them call you right say say something simple like there's no availability online at this time but please call this number because we may have availability you know try to get them on the phone because then you can really begin to massage their needs and, and say, okay, well, could you come a day earlier or stay a day later? And 
that's when you might might be able to get this sale closed in without re- them having to work for it. And rely on your live chat as well, which you should have on your sites if, if you don't do that. But you can set that to trigger if the customer gets that no availability message. Because that's a perfect time. They're on their machine. They're trying to convert, but there's a problem. Prompting them proactively, hey, we see you're having an issue. Would you like to chat with an agent? Is a great way to, to bridge that gap. Uh, and also kind of on, on a separate topic, going back to availability. This example goes back several years, but we had a client who was having an issue with the end of sales where they weren't getting many bookings. You know, the sale would start out great, but toward the end of the sale, they would have a real issue, you know, filling rooms. And what we found out was happening was they had availability for this particular package loaded where the last day that the package was available was the last day you could book a room on that package. So what happened is if someone wanted to book a four-day stay, but the last two days were outside the package range, there was no availability. And, you know, that really caused a problem because if you're trying to take advantage of a special and you can't book it, you're not going to do so. So what we did was just had them load rates at a regular rate or the next best deal rate way beyond the end of a package, which let the customer complete that booking and you get to the property. Yeah, if you're running specials or packages based on a single rate code in your PMS, make sure that that rate code can be booked anytime because because people sometimes they'll click on it and in their this their dates aren't necessarily matching up with when that package is available but you still want them to get results right so make sure that you're showing them rates no matter what date period they're picking so anytime even if it's a fourth of july package there should be rates for december Mm -hmm. always or at least the ability for them to get to those rates, even if it's not built into that package, if your technology doesn't allow you to do that. Yeah, when the customer sees there's no availability, they don't know that that means for that particular package. In their eyes, the hotel's full, they're not coming back because you're booked. Exactly. So the next one, as a person who is passionate about fake internet points, I really enjoy the use of psychology throughout this process. We've talked about this before, particularly when we've looked at what OTA sites are doing well, which we had a whole episode on, but using basic principles such as the fear of missing out, showing social proof throughout the process, using reassurance or reviews to let people know that they're making the right decision. Just little things that are easy to do, using that throughout the process is going to make all the difference. Absolutely. I think it's so important that you get the person, you know, through that process, you know, they're going to have that cognitive dissonance during their checkout process and their shopping process. If you can immediately head that off and let them know they're making the right choice, they're a fantastic person, they're smart, you know, they're good looking and everything else, they're going to go right through that process and hit submit. Yeah. And like you said, Misha, this, we did that whole episode, it was episode 44. So if you guys want to go listen to that, it was uh, fuel travel.com slash podcast and click on episode 44 but OTAs do a phenomenal job of the psychology side of things and they're they're really putting a lot of forward pressure on people to get through the funnel and they're doing an even better job of removing the obstacles that may be in their way so hotels in my experience have not done as good a job as this at this as they could so this is something that I think a lot of people should be focusing on right now I just booked a place on VRBO today as a matter of fact and in that process excuse me when you're looking at the the inventory it shows you 66 people have looked at this property in the Mm -hmm. last 20 minutes 
you know, this one's a hot seller. And immediately I see the one I want. And I'm like, oh no, there's 60 other people are trying to get this place. Oh yeah, Airbnb you know. does that too. When I was using their app to look for a place to stay in Clemson for the football game, they would have on there that, um, oh, this this room is usually booked, but it's not right now. Get it, you know. I mean, they a lot of other companies. It's not just the OTAs, but even you know, if you're in the hotel space, you know, Airbnb is doing this, VRBO is doing this. Like a lot of other people have really smartened up with their process and are gently nudging people. Yeah, and not so gently sometimes. I mean, they're full force pushing people through the funnel. It, it's easy to do. You know, our booking engine does this really well where we, we show you know, limited inventory or how many have booked in the past week or showing reviews, stuff like that. And, and the testing that we've done shows that it has just a tremendous impact on conversion Well, rate. we've talked about TripAdvisor too, how you'll search for a room and they're like, oh, only one room left. But if you search that you need two rooms, it's all of a sudden, oh, only, only two, two rooms, rooms left. left. Yeah, they're messing with our heads. Curse you, TripAdvisor, and your 500 million reviews. All right, what's next? Ads, pop-ups, or any other element on the engine that could distract the guests from booking. I have very strong feelings about this, and we've had clients ask us specifically about serving pop-ups to people as literally they about to bring that up. enter the booking engine, and I just smack my head. Why would you ever want to do no. that? Like, why just, you no. would prioritize getting an email address over getting a booking is beyond me. And do not distract you did people. in your marketing was designed to get the person to do what they yeah. just did. Whatever that pop-up is going to say should be on the page itself if it's that important. It's like saying, I want to marry you, and then getting down on one knee and just being like, psych, and a snake pops out. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> to, to use the marriage analogy to go back to that. Wow. That is a callback to a previous episode again. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we talked a lot about putting this forward pressure. The last thing you want to do is is a dead end or something bright and shiny. You know, this is like when we talk, not just during the booking process, when people ask us about, well, I want to put Facebook prominently on my website and I want to drive people from my website to Facebook. It's crazy, right? Because you've got them in your mousetrap. They're going down your funnel. When you send them out of your site to something that's a distraction into someone else's funnel, now like Peter said this before, you're now in Facebook's conversion funnel where they're trying to monetize you with showing you ads that you're going to click on right so same principle is with the booking engine never ever put something in front of them that's going to impede their ability to make the decision to book with you because anytime someone gets distracted your chance of losing them increases you don't know how much time they have to make that booking and we all know that in this chaotic life that we all live in we have limited time to do the task that's in front of us we're gonna get our kids yelling at us or our boss yelling at us or some or our TV shows about to start or something's going to happen right where we're going to have to stop and if you've slowed down the process of them converting there's a chance now an increased chance that they're not going to book with you at that point and if you lost them in that session they've got to start all over again and now they're going to be exposed to all these other people you've got to seal that deal right then as soon as possible don't put anything in front of them lock it down Put that Which ring on. Really leads yeah. into the very next don't do oh, item. I have a story about this one. And that is showing a place where people could enter a promo code on the checkout page when A, maybe there is no such thing as a promo code, and B, 
now they're going to go look for a promo code and leave your site and this maybe never come back. This is a thing that happens and it works. And this is something we have, as marketers, trained people to do is go look for promo codes. And I was booking a hotel in Charleston at Extended Stay. I'm getting real angry with the finger movements here <laughs> um, for all the in-studio audience. Um, so I was booking a hotel in Charleston, extended stay, and I noticed there was a box for promo code. So I'm like, oh, let me go see if I can dig up a promo code. And sure enough, I just opened a new tab, typed in extended stay promo code, and ended up saving like it was 30% off of my stay or something. It saved me like 60 bucks on this day. I mean, and as a, as a consumer, I'm ecstatic, but as a marketer, I'm like, you're an idiot. Like this was terrible. Like, I think I reached out to them on Twitter because that's a reliable source to reach out to people and said, please let me fix this for you. Yeah. Because you were happy to pay the full price. I mean, sure. you were going through that process. I was, but I was like, hmm, something shiny. Let me save money. Yeah. And, and there's a whole industry retail me not there's tons of those types just, of sites out yeah, there people submit them yeah. they collect them and that's all they do and, and if you put that on there the person is going to leave your site which they should do find a coupon and if the coupon's not even there then they're going back to the booking process knowing that they didn't get the best deal because the pr promo code box mm -hmm. is there but they're not special enough to use it yeah i've not purchased with with sites before because of that very reason yeah because i'm mad now because i thought I was going to get a better Somebody deal. Somebody else is getting a better Someone deal. Someone else is getting a better deal. So I'm like, no, screw it. I'll wait until I do find a promo. And because we, we train people as marketers like this and might be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like this same phenomenon is happening with shopping cart abandonment. We're training mm -hmm. people that they can go on, put something in their car, and then just wait for the email afterwards. Yeah, yeah. you shouldn't mm -hmm. be offering discounts on the shopping cart abandonment. Yeah. The shopping cart abandonment should be... An, a reminder and an encouragement and yeah. a nudge and maybe offering more value somehow mm -hmm. but never discounting you're, you're gonna i know uh there's a employee that works here used to book a lot with great wolf lodge and they knew that if they went and did a search and did not book they were going to get a discount in the email every time so guess what they did every single time they waited for that email i don't think great wolf does that anymore but it was a practice that they where they train people to save money and it just it's not healthy. Here's a hot tip. If you're into cooking, it totally works for every single one of the food subscription services. I probably just blew our deal with Blue Apron that we were so diligently working on, but yeah. That's a big thing with them right now. So get it while the getting's good before they listen to this podcast and stop. Yeah, <laughs> and there's better ways. You just create a unique package that's for the best deal and promote that link. Drive them to that booking engine, let them book, let them know they're booking at the best possible deal, and you don't have to worry about the whole promo code issue at all. Yeah, exactly. we're not saying you can't run promos, right, or specials or packages, right? But they don't don't distract people that are in the regular booking process with the potential of something shinier and better for them, right? So have a specials page. Certainly have ads that you're running out on the internet that drive people to a specific landing page that has a unique promo code already embedded in the booking process right so that they're they're going to get that discount certainly you have to merchandise in the competitive world we live in that's not a question what we're saying is when someone's in that booking process and they're just a regular person that landed on your site and they're getting ready to book why give them a reason not to book it's crazy don't do it stop stop it now Stop the insanity. Yes. <laughs> All right. So the next one is missing upsell opportunities. And this is a very important one because you've got a customer shaking their head, going through the booking process. It's the perfect time to say, would you like to get 
a $50 resort credit for $40? Would you like to get breakfast for 10% off? Whatever it might be, would you like to extend your stay, early checkout, late check, or early check-in, late checkout, whatever it might be, that's the time to start that upsell process. You have to have that as part of that booking process. Yeah, and you got to be careful with this, right? Because cause it can quickly go from something that you can add revenue to something where you're decreasing conversion rate. So you've got to be testing this, no question. And you don't want to sell this kitchen sink because you're going to have multiple opportunities to talk to these people. You're going to have the confirmation email. You're going to have the confirmation page, confirmation email, the pre-arrival emails when they check in. You've got other times to sell to them. So absolutely do that. But there are certain things that when they're spending that money, you can really do a good job upselling. Travel insurance is one of those things. Just having a checkbox on the checkout page that says for an extra $15, we are going to protect this this trip and you don't have to worry about you know refunds and stuff. We're going to take care of that. Things like that make a lot of sense. But don't try to sell them show tickets and all this fancy Property stuff. Property t-shirts. Right. Don't sell them <laughs> merchandise at that point. Do that later for sure. But there, there are certain things early check-in, late check-outs, breakfast, we see those being really, really popular. Um, and also back to the other rate thing, you can, the, you could, you could do things uh, like insurance, but we also have the prepay in some places. Like they they'll give a, a, a different rate or you can pay a certain, or get, actually in this case is get a discount, right? And you'll save $20 if you pay everything now versus just giving a deposit. So there, there are things you can do that add perceived value or save people money or make you more money at that point in the process. But again, do not distract them. Make sure it's something that's worth it and it's a decision, a yes, no decision, quick decision for them to make. So the next one, we're almost at the end. We're at number 16 is not having the best price compared to the OTAs. And you would think this is common sense, but in a lot of cases, there is rate parity issues and you're not presenting the absolute best price possible and that is something you don't want to happen. Yeah, and not, not only having the best price, but telling people that you have the best price. You know, having throughout your site, best rate guaranteed. You won't find a better rate anywhere. You want to keep them on your site. You don't want them to leave mm -hmm. and go and shop the rate. That's why we want reviews on the site, right? Because we, it's why we want a frictionless experience. We don't want them to have to go to TripAdvisor or to the OTAs. So this is one. The rate is such an important factor in the decision-making process. People want to book direct, but there's still a perception that OTAs have a lower rate, right? So you've got to combat that either by selling low, lowest rate guaranteed or, or maybe even using a product like Triptease that does it for you where they're going to show the rates, the comparative rates on the OTAs and maybe even price match when there is a parity issue. So you've got to, I mean, that is hotel marketing 101 is rate parity. Yeah, and this, I know this is a conversation specific to the booking engine, but even before they get to that process, what we're really seeing just on the search engine results pages you know, if they're searching for your brand name, a lot of times OTAs are running paid ads on your brand. So you're going to need to be running some AdWords to combat that. Um, and then also hopefully your organic search result ranks really well. But then below that, you're still going to see TripAdvisorBooking.com because they have the authority to rank for your brand name. And what they're doing is in their ad copy or in their title tags and meta description, they're offering best rate guarantee, lowest rate, you know, so you need to 
at least be communicating that. Obviously, it's a little preposterous to update your ads <laughs> on a daily basis with a rate in there. I'm not saying you have to show your direct rates, but using language like official site, best rate guarantee, that's something we're testing heavily now um, with some of our properties um, just because the OTAs are doing it. So that's potentially trapped. Like they're not even going to make it to your booking engine if they're being stolen away on the search engine results page because you're not guaranteeing the lowest rate. For sure. Agreed. Amen. All right. So this is the last one, number 17. And this is what created this whole discussion, why, why we did the topic today. But not having a mobile-friendly booking engine is, is the cardinal sin today. So let's, let's set the field, right? So we know that traffic to our website is more mobile than it is not, right? We're, more than 50% of the traffic is coming in on mobile device. For, I don't remember the last time I saw a hotel where that was not the case, right? But we know the bookings are lagging behind. We know that people aren't booking on mobile as much. Now, I think the conventional wisdom there is that, well, people on mobile are earlier in the funnel. Maybe they don't trust the security of mobile quite as much. Right? That, that's the conventional wisdom. Well, let me tell you, I declare shenanigans on that argument. Ooh. Shenanigans, I tell you. Because I just the security one especially, I, I, I call shenanigans. Because you look at what we use our phones for today. right? We're using the, it... To, to buy all kinds of crap we don't need on Amazon. We're using it to pay our bills through our bank's app. Melissa's using it for Chick-fil-A, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, their own apps, right, as the transaction. Pete's using it for Apple Pay and all these things at the grocery store, right? Our phone is our transaction today. So the argument that people don't have the confidence to pay on their mobile phone, I just don't think exists today like it did five years ago. So, so... To me, the reason that mobile booking is lagging behind is because hotels suck at the mobile booking engine process, right? So here's my challenge to everyone that's listening to this. While you're listening to this, open up your web browser on your phone and pull up your website and try to make a booking on your own hotel's booking engine. And tell me if that is a great experience that is as good as the OTAs or tell me if it's clunky or it's cattywampus. And the chances are, because most ones I see, they're pretty cattywampus, right? And this is why it's lagging behind. And uh, until now, we've really struggled to kind of prove this point. Like we we kind of thought this may be the case for a while in this, which is why we built Guest Desk from the ground up to be mobile first, right? We, We knew that we wanted it to be first and foremost, a great mobile experience. And that's how we, we built it. Right? So in, um, in a lot of destinations where we have a lot of clients, we're looking at data across the, the industry, right? So we can tell in destination A that this is the trend going on. So there's one destination where we have 48 different properties, all around the same size, they're all independents, they're all using, they were using the same booking engine technology, their marketing strategies were similar, rates were similar so so it's it's pretty we can see the trends year over year we can we got kind of got a good sandbox to play in right 10 of those 38 48 sorry properties last year switched to guest desk right the new version of guest desk with this mobile first approach so we we decided to look at data for the first three months of the year for january February, march to see what impact switching booking engine had right so i feel like 10 10 with a new booking engine, 
There's 38 properties out there still that are using their old booking engine, which is not a particularly great mobile experience. So we wanted to see what happened, right? So we see that on, on desktop, traffic was down a little bit across the board. All these properties was down a little bit. Conversion rate in, in revenue was up a little bit. There wasn't really a disparity there. Like desktops were behaving about the same across all 48 properties. But when we get to mobile, it, it was night and day, right? So we know that mobile is getting more adopted, right? So the, the 38 non-guest desk clients, we did see a slight increase. They were the, the booking, um, the number of bookings, the conversion rate, or the number of bookings and the revenue was up about 20, 25% year over year, right? The, the, the number of, so that was revenue and bookings. The conversion rate was up a little bit as well. Now we fast forward and look at the, the 10 that switched to the new booking engine, this mobile friendly booking engine. The conversion rate, the bookings and the revenue are up phenomenally. Revenue is up over 100%. Like it's outperforming these other ones three or four times as much. Just because now the only difference being they've got a better mobile booking experience, right? So not having that booking ex experience is costing you so much money. And I wrote a blog article about this and I actually did the math to see what difference it was for these 10 properties in a three month period. This was $2.2 million. That's a whole lot of cheddar, right? It was, it was over 3000 bookings. It was almost 10,000 room nights that they made in addition to what they had made last year, you know, and no one else is even close to seeing those kind of increases because they still got these mediocre mobile experiences on their booking engine so uh, this podcast isn't a sales pitch for guest desk in any way we we don't do that if you listen to the show we don't really talk about ourselves a lot but this data got me so crazy because so many people are just settling for a terrible mobile experience they don't look at their their mobile booking process they just look at their desktop we gotta wake up people we got to focus mobile first we say it all the time Again, go look at your mobile booking engine right now and tell me if it's great. If it's not, you need to be re talking to your booking engine provider or going and shopping for a new provider tomorrow because people people want to book on mobile. You're just not letting them. You're getting in their way. And at some point, those people are going to leave and they're going to go to your competition or to the OTAs. Whew, I'm off Do you my, feel better I'm now? I'm off my rant. I felt like Melissa going off on one of her rants there. So I think I came up with a tagline for the new and improved guest desk. Okay. Go from cattywampus to scintillating. It's <laughs> <laughs> preposterous. One of those properties increased their mobile bookings by five hundred thousand dollars. Isn't it's crazy? It's insane. Yeah. That was one single property, and that is really what customers are expecting to do they want to be able to book online if you're putting roadblocks up you know we've always said it in the past you know people are shopping on on their mobile devices but when they get home they open up their browsers or other devices and because we're and forcing the them to right. like they would rather they don't just want do it to. then yeah i mean it's so much easier if your phone's already out it's already connected to your banking systems and your mm -hmm. credit card and everything else just let them go right through the process i don't open my laptop at home anymore i just it very rarely you know, unless I have to edit this podcast or do something that I can't do on my mobile device, it, it's cumbersome for me now to open my laptop, to literally lift a lid on a laptop, to get First it. First world pains. Yeah, unzip a bag, pull out a laptop <gasps> and, and open it up. I, I do all my emails. Communication is on my phone. I don't want to use my laptop. 
but hotels are forcing me to do it. If you could do it on your phone, industry, it could be dangerous, dangerously easy yeah. to book. Every other industry, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, you name it, has adopted mobile, you know, centric booking. I use, I guess, Fandango to buy movie tickets. Mm-hmm. I've actually never been to their website. I've always done it on my phone. Oh, their app is awesome because it, it gives you a countdown for your movie. And then when you open the app, it instead of going to the main screen right before the movie, it opens up to the movie that's yeah. about to start. They did a really good job with their yeah. app. I went to go see Finding Dory on opening night. Feel free to judge me. But I got excited because I kept opening that. I'm like, one day until Finding Dory. <laughs> that's what I'm <laughs> judging you for, not for that's fine. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> So that's it, guys. That is 17 things that people are doing wrong with the booking yeah. engine. And Can ho- we just do hopefully- that every week? Like 17 things you're doing wrong in X. <laughs> we just rant about, just yeah. complain. It, I don't really want the tone of the podcast to go negative, and I feel like it could if we did that every week. That'll be my podcast. Melissa and I <laughs> yeah. will start one. <laughs> so you're going to complain about bananas and everything else yeah. on your podcast, like you do on your blog. But that, I mean, that's that's a lot of meaty stuff. Hopefully the people listening at home got something out of it hopefully and, they're still listening yeah, yeah. <laughs> the two that are still listening thank you and we do know that some people get something out of this podcast because we got another review pete you want to read that we did so the reviews are starting to come in faster and faster so thanks everybody especially especially thank you to especially especially thank you to jared k and he just sent us in a five-star review on itunes so we definitely appreciate that and here's what he had to say Fuel marketing, sorry, Fuel's marketing podcast is really awesome. As someone who works in the position that is a marketing adjutant, a revenue management, I appreciate the approach of e- the approachability of each episode. They cover a wide variety of interesting topics, yet also explain relevant key terms and concepts along the way. Now I just need to get our marketing manager to start listening. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Looking forward to future episodes. Well, also, Jared K. won some fuel swag from the AMA, and you did not respond to my message about that. So if you want your fuel swag, just reach out. Why why are you hating on him, man? I'm telling him he's got free stuff. He's sending us questions for our live show, and he's he's leaving reviews. I'm sorry. I'm trying to reward He's not even in marketing. He's in rate management. Like, So he's trying to bridge the gap, which everyone needs to do. And he's making passive-aggressive swipes at... (laughs) His, his marketing manager, who should definitely get on the train. And, and Jared, if you let us know what their name is, we will call them out every episode until they start listening. Tell us their size. We can send them a fuel vest, too, to remind them to listen. There you go. But yeah, Jared, we want to send you some swag. So definitely reach out to Misha. And, uh, or just the on, fuel on, page. Yeah. On the fuel page. On, yeah. on Twitter? Is that where we're on Facebook? What's your, on what's, Twitter. Your, what's your home phone number? <laughs> I don't have a home phone. Well, She's a millennial, dude. She, my apartment has a phone in it, and it's kind of a joke when people come over, like people my age, because they're like, oh, what is this thing on your wall? People still use this? I'm like, haha, funny. <laughs> All right, I got one other thing, too. So we're going to be doing a webinar uh, coming up on May 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern, and we are doing this with Trust You and Travel Tripper. And it is going to be phenomenal because we are going to be talking about a lot of things we talked about today. We're going to be talking about online booking trends. So as you guys know, we recently did a study about website behavior and booking trends. You can get that and download it at fueltravel.com slash website study. But these other two great companies, Trust You and Travel Trip, have also done their own studies that look at it from slightly different angles as well. So we've kind of combined our brains like not in a weird morphage way, but like we're actually putting our heads together and comparing our data and seeing where it where it all says the same stuff and 
putting the pieces together to just create an amazing webinar that is going to blow your literally blow your socks off. So again, that's May 9th, 11 a.m. Eastern, and you can sign up for that starting right now if you go to fueltravel.com/webinar. So we would love for you to join us on May 9th. How about that? Are you guys excited about it? I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to that. And May 9th is also the day I graduated high school. So it'll be a real special day for me. Wait, you're not, you haven't graduated high school yet? Well, I said I, when I did graduate. Oh, when I, I graduated like this year. Tests. I thought no. you were getting your GED I graduated high school on May 9th. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. That is really weird. I don't remember what year I graduated high school, let alone what date. 2008 for me. Mm. You're young and. All right. Well, this has been a long episode, <laughs> but I feel like it was a good one that went off on a few cattywampus preposterous nonsense turns turns. yeah but hey that's what we do that's how we roll here if anything we're hopefully making our listeners more articulate by shoving in sat vocab words word word of the week (laughs) yeah so pete where can they find you on the web they can find me on twitter at p demayo p d i m a i o melissa i am on twitter at m a k a v a n a g h and misha you can find me at marketing Misha. You haven't <laughs> done that in a while. Let's throw back to like the third episode. M E I S H A. Me is ha. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, I'm in a special zone today. You are very special. <laughs> and you can find me at Stuart Butler, S T U A R T B U T L E R on Twitter. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. We would love to hear from you, submit questions. And please, if you love the show and like what we're doing please go to itunes and leave a review and we will read it out on the show and until next time you have been listening to the fuel hotel marketing podcast hello i'm a human today not an android i don't know what i'm saying (laughs) 